What's up, Uzanzi? Welcome to episode 366 of Farmers Inside Track. I'm your host, Octavius Pandil. Now, soilless farming is plants that can be grown inside using hydroponics without the need for soil or a growing medium. So plants receive all of their nourishment from a nutrient solution that is delivered straight to their roots as opposed to extracting the mineral nutrients required for growth from the earth. In this episode, Hidaya Tayyip, Aqua Organic CEO and founder, shares the overall benefits of soilless farming practices. Hidaya, welcome to Farmers Inside Track. It is absolutely exciting to have you with us. I'm quite excited to learn a little bit more about soilless farming, how beneficial it is, and if it's actually a profitable business at this point for farmers to jump into. Can you define what is soilless farming for us? Hi, Otega. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really happy to be here and excited to talk to you about soilless agriculture, which has been a passion of mine for the past 10 years. So what is soilless agriculture? Well, it is what the name suggests, agriculture without soil. Now, as we know, most people understand farming to be something where you've got to get your hands into the dirt, get on your knees and plant something in the soil. However, there is an alternative. And it's growing food, plants, and medicines in a medium that doesn't contain soil, such as water or cocoa peat or clay. What are the advantages of soilless farming practices? There are numerous advantages for soilless farmers. The first one that I think that really stands out for me is water conservation and being able to use a lot less water to grow food in a smaller space. So those are two, but let me focus on this water conservation. If I were to give you an example, if you wanted to grow, let's say, a thousand heads of lettuce on a field, you would have to water those lettuces every single day for the growing period, which is usually between 21 and 7 days. I can't exactly give you the exact amount of water required to irrigate that crop, but one thing I can tell you for a fact that in a soilless agricultural system, you would be using up to 80 or 90% less water in a soilless agricultural system as you would when you compare that to a normal field irrigation. If you were to say to a farmer, look, I can cut your water bill down by 80 to 90%, most of them would tell you this is impossible or be very, very interested in what you have to offer them. Not just from a fiscal point of view, coming from the, from the point of view of water conservation and caring about the environment, this allows for us to save water in a way that gives us the opportunity for looking after our environment. I can't say it's not the same for the current form of agriculture where we are using way too much water and not growing as much food as we used to. So those are one of the benefits. And you also maybe touch on some of the important aspects of controlled environment, the location, including the space of it. Control the environment is something that traditional agriculture could not offer. You can't control the amount of sunlight that a field gets or the temperature out there or the amount of wind that blows. All of these factors, these environmental factors, contribute to whether your plant is going to grow or not. In a controlled environment, in a soilless agricultural system, what you can do is you can control the amount of light, the amount of water, the amount of nutrients, the temperature. Now, these things usually happen within a greenhouse or a warehouse indoors. And by doing this, by having a controlled climate, you are able to grow things out of season. If you say to a farmer, look, I'm going to grow strawberries in the heart of winter, 
and have it on the market. People look at you and say, no, that's not possible. Strawberry should be dormant in the cold months and only pop around when spring comes around. You are basically turning what agriculture understands to be growing seasons on its head. So with climate control, you're able to grow things A, out of season, grow things faster because you're able to use your nutrients in a way that the plant needs. So what usually happens on soil-based agriculture, you would apply either your compost or your manure or your fertilizer to the soil and you'd have to plant your plants in there and then there's a certain time period by which these inputs would break down, etc., etc. In a controlled environment, we know the exact amount of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium and micronutrients that the plants need. So we give it to them at the amounts that they need it, at the times that they need it, in the temperature that they need it, and thus giving them the perfect environment, not just to survive, but thrive and give off a, in most cases, a much better yield than soil-based agriculture. With regards to space, soilless agriculture stands out when compared to soil-based because your ability to farm with soilless agriculture can be at home or as in what's happening across the world at the moment, farms are popping up in city centers on the rooftops of supermarkets in places where people don't necessarily see agriculture. You don't look at the skyscraper in the middle of Cape Town and then say, huh, that'll be a great farm. Nobody thinks like that. However, in New York, for example, there are skyscrapers that are being utilized for farming. The reason for this is with soilless agriculture, you have something called vertical farming, where you're able to plant your vegetables and your herbs in a manner that allows for space to be utilized very easily. So if you just Google vertical farming and have a look at the images, it's pretty self-explanatory. However, these concepts are so easily adaptable to everyday life for people who are living in apartments who want to farm. So utilize the space by going vertically. This offers you the opportunity to grow your herbs and your spices, even your fruits. Let's just jump into the types of systems that can be used for soilless farming. I know that there are drip systems, wicking systems, nutrient foams. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe just share a little bit more about those techniques and some others that I haven't mentioned? For me personally, <laughs> the different types of growth system really affects your hydroponic business if you want to start a hydroponic business or you are growing at home. So the two that really stand out for me and two that I've been utilizing in my business and what I tell my customers to utilize is the deep water culture system and the nutrient foam technique. So I'm going to focus on these two. So with the deep water culture system, I'm going to give it to you in the most simplest form possible. It's just a bucket or a tub of water where you add your nutrients or your fertilizer, and then you have your plant float in that nutrient mixture. Very simple, very easy. Now this really stands out for me because it's easy for you to control the water parameters, such as the pH and the nutrient that needs to be in there. It's easy for you to access your plant. And if for whatever reason you need to flush the water out, it's easy for you to empty that reservoir and to fill it again. So for beginners, I always say, go for the deep water culture system. You actually build a relationship with that ecosystem when you start off with a DWC, otherwise known as deep water culture system. You can add an aerator to that. And if you don't know what an aerator is, if you've ever seen a fish tank, they usually have this bubbler in the corners to fill the water with oxygen. Now in hydroponics, this is really important. The water needs oxygen. Your roots of your plants needs oxygen. So DWC for me is a winner. The second one is nutrient film technique. 
And when we operated in South Africa, we had a semi-commercial nutrient film technique system that we utilized. And what it is, is going to make it again as simple as possible. It's just a gutter pipe or a PVC pipe with water that's flowing through the pipe. And then you float your plants in that nutrient mixture that is flowing through the pipe and then back to your reservoir. Now, this really excites people. When they see an NFT system, they see this gutter pipe. I'm going to use that term with about 10 to 12 plants in there, depending on the length of the gutter pipe, with about 10 to 12 plants in there. And this is very visually appealing. It's also used by a lot of commercial hydroponic growers the world over because you're able to fit a lot of plants inside stacked up gutter pipes. So that's the duty and film technique. The other methods that is utilized but is not that popular, I'd say is the ebb and flow system. Some people might be listening and say, hey, I swear by the ebb and flow system. That's okay. You are part of the 20% of growers. I'm being the 80% don't really use this. But with the ebb and flow system, it's basically a flood and drain system. So you'd have your nutrient mixture flowing towards a bladder that contains a grow medium. So a grow medium is something that you can grow plants in that is not soil. So if I say grow medium, think of something that you can grow plants in that is not soil, for example, the clay liquor, which is this clay ball, the roots are able to lock into them. Or pebbles, for example. Or one that we use personally, which is called sand polyps. It's basically where you have sand, you have the nutrient mixture settle on the sand, it drains through the sand, it goes back to the reservoir, but planted inside your sand or your clay pebbles is your seedlings. So you've got this process of flood and drain, and flood and drain. And this is a very unique process. Because what happens is when your nutrient mixture, your liquid flows over your grow medium, your plants take up the nutrients that they need, they sip up the water that they need via capillary action, and then the water returns back to the reservoir. But here's the other special part. With the water returning back to the reservoir, your roots get all the oxygen that they need before the water returns to wash them again. So that is a form of growing that some people like and some people don't like because balancing your flood and drain, your flood and drain, that'd be a bit tricky. And then moving on to the next one, which is the drip system. Now the drip system, it works when as a farmer, you're growing for profit, which I know 99% of out there are growing for profit. The problem with the drip system is you're going to be utilizing your water and your nutrients once. The other systems that I mentioned before, your DWC, your ebb and flow, and your NFT, what happens with that is you've got your recirculating system. In your drip system, it's very difficult to develop a recirculating system. So your water goes along a drip line, which normal soil-based agriculture, uh, um, normal soil-based farmers know very well about this. So your nutrient mixture is then placed into a reservoir that pumps it via a drip line that goes to your plants. And your plants, once again, not planted in soil. Your plants have been planted in, like I mentioned, a grow medium, cocoa peat, the river sand in some cases, or the clay balls, the clay liquor. So it feeds the plant directly via a drip system with a nutrient mixture that is tailored for the plant that you're growing, whether it's lettuce or peppers or strawberries, whatever you are interested in. I'm actually very curious to know how lucrative is soilless farming? It's actually based on the market and the economy of a country. And that is something that has come about recently. 
So what I can speak for is I can speak for the US because my company is based in the United States. Over the past 10 years, there's been a huge influx of tech companies and venture capital firms investing in soilless farming operations across the United States of America into Europe and Australia. Now, what's happened over the past 10 years is that so much research and work has gone into the soilless farms that it looked on the surface as if it was a financial goldmine. What has happened over the past 12 months, however, is that over 90% of these companies have gone belly up or have sought more investment from the venture capital backers. And the reason this has happened is that, firstly, we had tech gurus looking into farming and thinking that they can just convert themselves from an app designer to a farmer over a period of 12 months. There was one problem. So they didn't look at the market specifically in the US. So with soilless farming, you aren't able to grow as a variety of plants as you are with normal traditional agriculture. The crops that is focused on with soilless farming is your leafy greens, your small fruits, such as peppers and strawberries, cucumbers in some cases. And from there, you should be able to figure out what your market is like. Let's take New York, for example, where people are living in high-rise buildings. We've got a lot of supermarkets around the place. And these soilless farms, aero farms, for example, would supply the microgreens and the lettuces and whatever else they were growing directly to places like your Whole Foods, which is their version of Food Lovers Market, directly to your Whole Foods. However, here's the catch. You were still competing with the big farmer who's got a massive plot of land an hour or two away, who was able to charge less than half for his product than you were. So like I said, on the surface of it, it looked like an amazing idea. However, the market in the United States didn't cater to this. Despite all the venture capital firms investing in it, despite all the money that was being thrown at it, when you look at the market, you need to make sure that your competitors can compete with you and you can compete with them. 10 years ago, if you asked me that question, I would have said it's an amazing thing to get into the idea that you can grow 20,000 heads of lettuce in a 100 square meter space is going to make you a millionaire over the next three years. That's not the case at all. But I need to be real about it because I also made that mistake and I made that mistake in South Africa. So looking at it today, if you want to look at soilless farming as a way to earn extra income or even as a career, you need to think twice about where your customer is the demand and your input costs, which is a huge stumbling block with soilless agriculture. If you want to set up a farm in the US, for example, that's going to be able to cater to supplying a quote-unquote a food lovers market, you're easily looking at an investment of $2 million. And I'm going to leave you to times that by 19, because <laughs> my maths is really bad, to times that by 19 as a basic investment of which you should be able to pay back within the next three to four years. Moving to South Africa, it's similar. However, the market can change depending on whether you have customers or not. Is hydroponics sustainable? Five to six years ago, if you were to ask the question, most scientists and hydroponic growers would tell you yes, and they will scream it from the rooftops. However, my research for the past 11 years has been about trying to find a way to make hydroponics and also soilless farming a lot more sustainable. So let's just rewind five years, like I mentioned. So five years ago, scientists would say, hey, we are using 80 to 90% less water in soilless farming, in hydroponics. Isn't that amazing? And I was like, yeah, this is absolutely stunning. Everybody switch over to hydroponics. However, practicing hydroponics and also to a lesser extent aquaponics for the past, like I said, 11 years, I started to notice that 
hydroponics is not as sustainable as people say it is. And the reason for that is twofold. One, hydroponic growers always brag about the fact that, hey, we save water. It's actually not the case. With hydroponics, what happens is after about three weeks to a month, the water reservoir that you are using that contains a nutrient mixture, that nutrient mixture actually becomes toxic for your plants. And you need to flush out at least half the water in order to put in a new nutrient mixture and for your plants to stay healthy. This is not safe for the environment because that huge amount of nutrient or NPK gets flushed into our drainage systems. Seeing that we're both in South Africa, if you know about the red tide that happens on the coast of Cape Town a few times a year, this happens because of excessive nutrient within the wastewater that's being flushed into our oceans. Now, the world over, this happens, but specifically Cape Town, because when we test this, we find that a good amount of the nutrient that's causing the red tide, the algae to grow, and the fish and the crayfish to die off, is due to fertilizer nutrient runoff. So with hydroponics, you are directly contributing to fertilizer and nutrient runoff, especially your commercial hydroponic companies. So that is one side that shows you that it's really not sustainable. The other side is the manufacturing of the fertilizer. So soilless agriculture and normal agriculture utilizes a synthetic and or mineral-based fertilizer. Over the past six or seven years, research has shown that the use of this mineral fertilizer has directly contributed to greenhouse gases skyrocketing the world over. And how does it skyrocket it? Firstly, the manufacturing of it requires a lot of fossil fuel inputs. Requires a lot of fossil fuel inputs. That's the one issue. The other issue is synthetic fertilizers kill off soil bacteria. So when you use it on a soil-based system, it kills off a soil bacteria and soil bacteria takes in a lot of carbon. Using synthetic fertilizers on its own, you are contributing to greenhouse gases and global warming at the end of the day. So yes, on one hand, we're gonna say, hey, hydroponic saves water. It does, but does it really? And secondly, you can say, hey, you know, I'm growing in a much more sustainable way. Once you pull on the thread and you go down the path of where you get your synthetic fertilizers from and the effect that it has on the environment, you'll start to realize, hey, this is not as sustainable as I've been led to believe. How does hydroponic growers deal with pests and diseases? So with hydroponics, it's a very, very sterile environment. So if you were to walk into a commercial hydroponic facility, they'll say to you, hey, please put on some overalls, some booties on your feet and again it. And the reason for this is the environment is kept so sterile so that there's no diseases or pests or bacteria that can get in. Hydroponic growers love saying that they don't use pesticides and things like that, which 90% of them don't. So the only way they can control pests and diseases is by controlling the external factors, which you can't do on a soil-based agricultural system. You don't see farmers walking out there looking like a brain surgeon. However, if you walk into a commercial hydroponic facility, sure, they dress like brain surgeons and they make sure that everything is sterilized on a daily basis. So it's more about prevention than cure. Because one downside of soilless agriculture is the moment you have a disease, the best thing you can do is get rid of all of your plants and just start from scratch. And finally, are we able to grow more than just leafy greens? Very interesting, and I would really like to know more about that. Oh, for sure. You can definitely grow more than leafy green. Most hydroponic growers only grow leafy greens because it's so easy to grow. You can grow your strawberries, your peppers, 
your hot peppers, which is something that I think hot peppers is something that farmers have recently started to look into because you can have your ghost peppers and your habanero peppers and there's a huge market for that. Then recently, some universities in the United States have started growing potatoes using a soilless growing method. It's not been that successful. However, I give them two years or three years, they'll be able to pull it off using their research and their know-how. So it's starting to expand away from your usual lettuce and kale and things like that. Thanks so much, Hidayah Tayyip, Aquaponics CEO and founder. For more on the topic, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za. And this week, we celebrate hashtag sources, the patient lawyers and interpreters leap from health and safety to chili, garlic, and ginger cultivation. Amid challenges and unexpected shifts in a journey, embodies resilience and community spirit. The Asian market came to us after they heard that we were doing organic farming. They gave us a contract where they said, if you can try and supply us a certain amount of product every month for the next five years, we'll give you a bigger contract to work with you. So that's how we then got into this market. We didn't struggle that much because the fact that ginger, garlic, and chili is used on a daily basis and it's one of the remedies that was used during COVID. Our market is now stable and we've got a very good client that we grow for. We don't have to go out there and seek the market. That's the fortunate part that we have as a business. Patience is one of the phenomenal women selected to participate in the 2023 hashtag Soul Sister program. Catch a full interview on www.foodformzanzi and on Foodformzanzi's YouTube channel. And that's it. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. From me, Octavia Spandil, our technical producer, Megan van der Vind, and the rest of the hashtag team, Food from Zanzi. Thanks for listening. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food from Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.